You know, one of the things I love about the summer is Summer Olympics. And my kids and I, we watch it for hours. We you know, pretend to be Michael Phelps or we, you know, channel in our inner Simone Biles. But if you think about all the Olympic heroes throughout history, you may think of, if you're as old as me, Mary Lou Retton or Michael Johnson. But the one hero you should have in your mind is a guy by the name of Derek Redmond. Derek Redmond is from Great Britain. In the 1992 Barcelona Olympics, he came in as a favorite for the 400-meter race. Now, Redmond had been in two previous Olympics but had never finished a race. He had had injuries and it kept him from uh, finishing a race. But this time, he was destined to win Olympic gold. In fact, he had won all the previous races leading up to the 92 Olympics. Derek's father, uh, Jim, was in the stands watching him. Jim had helped him train. And Derek, in the semifinal race, starts off the fastest he had ever started off in a race. And he was doing great up until about the 150-meter point. At that point, he felt a sharp pain in his leg. In fact, it was so sharp and so strong that he actually later said that he thought somebody had shot him from the crowd. He fell to the pavement, and you would think that it would end at that point, but what happened next went down in Olympic history. Take a look at this video. I, I love that video because as I watch it, I'm amazed at Derek's father's Jim's determination to get on the track with his son. He saw that his son was down, and he wanted to carry him towards the finish line. I don't know if you realize from that video, but generally speaking, spectators are not allowed on the Olympic track. Derek needed his dad. And his dad was there to take him to the finish line. Today, we're continuing our series called Legacy, where we've been asking, what type of legacy does God want us to leave in life? Because we're going to leave a legacy whether we like it or not. And when it comes to the legacy, the one thing that we must be about, that we have to be about, is people. Because this is what Jesus was about. In fact, if you were to ask him, ask Jesus one question, what were you all about? What was the legacy you came here for? It'd be a simple answer. People. Like Derek's dad, he jumped out of the stands out of heaven and he came onto the track and picked up people who were on the mat rich people, poor people, healthy people, sick people, Jews, Gentiles, married, divorced, it didn't matter. And he carried them to where they needed to go. And he calls us to do the same. He, he says, You want to know what your legacy needs to be? You, you want to know what you should be for? It's people. Because there's only one thing that lasts forever, and it's not your portfolio, and it's not your bank account, and it's not your house, and it's not your vacations. It's, it's people. Because whether you like it or not, people are down around you. They're on the ground. And maybe they're down because all of a sudden life was going well, and then something flipped them upside down. The doctor said it's cancer, or maybe their spouse said it's over. Or maybe they're down because of addictions and they've tried to stop. They really have. They've made promises to stop, but they can't. Or maybe they're down because of societal issues. They're marginalized because of the color of their skin or their sexual orientation or their socioeconomic status. They're constantly pushed down by culture. Or maybe they're down and they don't even realize that life seems good. The problem is they're just running the wrong race and they're going towards the wrong finish line. And the place they need to go to, or more precisely, the person they need to go to, the person we need to jump out of the stands and help them go towards is this man named Jesus. And now I know some of you are newer to church and you're thinking, of course, you're the pastor. You have to say that you get paid to say that. And there's some truth to that. 
And I would be skeptical too. But I will say this. We honestly believe at Mass and Church that the place we can bring you to, the best person we can bring you to is Jesus. And many of us here and online watching believe that. But the question I would ask of those who believe that is, what are we doing about it? Who are we picking up off the ground? You know, I'm afraid that too often in churches, we see people on the ground and we just say, oh, that's too bad. I hope you get up. And so today I want you to lock your mind in on the person or people that have been down around you. And they need you to jump out of the stands and help bring them to Jesus. And as you think of these people, the question I want you to ask yourself is this. Will you block people from Jesus or bring people from, to Jesus? Because you're either going to block or you're going to bring. In Luke chapter 5, we see the story of somebody who was down. He was down literally on the ground. He was paralyzed and he needed to get to Jesus. And as we see his predicament, we see two different groups of people react very differently to him. One that blocked him from Jesus and one group that brought him to Jesus. So I want to read this story. And then we're going to come back throughout the rest of this talk to look at it. Luke chapter 5, beginning in verse 17. It says this, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there. They had come from every village of Galilee and from Judea and Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with Jesus to heal the sick. Some men carrying a paralyzed man on a mat and tried to take him into the house to lay him before Jesus. When they could not find a way to do this because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and lowered him on his mat through the tiles into the middle of the crowd, right in front of Jesus. When Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fellow who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? Jesus knew what they were thinking and asked, why are you thinking these things in your heart? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or to say, get up and walk. But I want you to know that the son of man has authority on earth to forgive sins. So he said to the paralyzed man, I tell you, get up, take up your mat and go home. Immediately he stood up in front of them, took what he had been lying on and went home praising God. Everyone was amazed and gave praise to God. They were filled with awe and said, we have seen remarkable things today. You know, as we process this story, we need to begin with the problem. And the problem is this, that sometimes we block people from Jesus. Sometimes we block people from Jesus. And now this is a fascinating scene that Jesus is teaching in somebody's house. Most likely it was Peter's house and that the place is packed. They're, they're breaking fire codes. There is absolutely no social distancing going on here. This is not Madison. This is Waukesha, Wisconsin, you know. And one of the reasons it's packed is because Jesus' popularity was soaring. In fact, if you read prior to the story, you see all these phrases of, uh, of everybody was amazed by this man's teaching and they were in awe. All the people were following him and his popularity kept growing and growing and growing. And people knew this guy, Jesus, could heal. People are on the outside of the house looking in. They just want to get a glimpse of this man named Jesus. And then there's this guy that we meet in Luke chapter five. He's on the ground, desperately needing to see Jesus. He wants more than anything else to be healed. His friends show up at the house, carrying him on his mat, like a, like a stretcher to bring him to Jesus, but he can't get through. Now on one hand, he can't get through because it's crowded, but you would think that if the crowd saw a man coming in on a stretcher, that they would part ways and let him get to Jesus. And, but that doesn't happen. And here's why. Look at verse 17. A very simple statement says, one day Jesus was teaching and the Pharisees and teachers of the law, and here's the key point, were sitting there. 
Now, that may not seem like a big deal, but it, it actually is a very telling statement. You see, Jesus was a Jewish rabbi. And Jewish rabbis would actually teach by sitting down while everybody else stands. Now, I, I think that's a great way for pastors or preachers to teach. But, and the reason they would do this is so that more people could crowd around him, so that more people could stand around him while he taught, and so that they would give him respect. And so you have this crowd standing around him, but then this group called the Pharisees, the religious leaders, Luke says, were sitting there. They didn't care that there were people trying to get through to see Jesus. They broke tradition. In the front row, they were blocking anybody by sitting there. They weren't there to learn from him. They were there to trap him. They weren't there to respect him. They were there to diss him. In fact, they were so adamant about this that they had traveled from Jerusalem to be there. That was 120 miles away. They didn't have Teslas during that day. They didn't have cars in that day. They, they had to walk there. They had to get there. So they sat. They sat to show their disrespect. They sat to block others from him. But why? I mean, it seems so strange. It seems like the religious leaders, the pastors, after all, would want people to get to Jesus. You see, the Jews wanted to be Pharisees. The, the Pharisees were the ones who people thought were really connected to God. They knew the Old Testament in and out. You would think that they would be the ones carrying the paralyzed man to Jesus. You would think that they would be posting on Facebook that you should come and see this Jesus, but, but they weren't. And the reason they weren't, and it's still true today, that those who claim to know about God the most often keep people from God the most. That those who claim to know God the most often keep people from God the most. They create a religion that's all about rules, all about looking and behaving a certain way, a religion that feels judgmental and mean. And that's what these guys were doing. Their, their religion wasn't anything at all what God intended. You see, they started adding barriers to things God never intended there to be barriers for. They started to say, you know what? If you're going to be like us, you have to do all these washing ceremonies. Before you even come into this place, you have to wash your hands in a certain way. And it's really weird. Or they, they said, you know what? If you're ever going to eat food, you have to wash your dishes a certain way. And you have to do this and do that. If, if you're going to believe in God, you have to believe like we do. You have to see the world the way we do. And they put barrier after barrier after barrier. And they said, unless you adhere to these rules that we have here, you'll never be able to see Jesus. And soon people couldn't see Jesus well. You know, it'd be one thing if that just happened then, but it happens now. We do the same. We often block Jesus from people by our disapproval. We say, yeah, I know Jesus loves everybody, but, but really, you, you did that? Do you know what you did? You know what you are like? And until you get your act together, you can't really be loved by Jesus. Or we put up a barrier of disagreement because we say, yeah, I know Jesus loves everybody. And technically we're supposed to have a lot of different opinions allowed in this place. But the reality is, is that unless you're a Republican, you can't believe in Jesus or unless you're a Democrat, you can't believe in Jesus. Unless you vote for, uh, for Donald Trump, unless you vote for Bernie Sanders, you can't believe in Jesus. You know what? Unless you agree with me, Jesus won't agree with you. 
And we put up the barrier of disagreement. And then sometimes we put up the barrier of differences. We say, you know what? I know Jesus wants us all to be together and in one mind, but I just want to kind of stick with my people. And we say we want to be a person who brings racial unity, but we don't have friends of color. And then sometimes the barrier we put up the most is distractions. We want people to see Jesus, but we're just too busy. And so what ends up happening is that Jesus is hidden behind all these barriers that we have. And people can't see him. I mean, they may be able to see parts of him. They can see through these holes. They might be able to see an arm here or an arm there. But the reality is, is that they can't see him. And we block them from people. So let me ask you, how are you blocking people from Jesus? What in your life have you been doing? Maybe it's through disagreements. Maybe it's through disapproval. Maybe it's just through busyness and distraction where you have said, you know what? Unless you believe like me, unless you look like me, unless you are like me, you won't be able to see Jesus. I'm afraid that too often in our culture, we've done that. It's no wonder that people run away from the church. It's no wonder that people say, why would I follow that Jesus? And I say that not as somebody pointing the finger at you, but as somebody who's a recovering Pharisee. Somebody who even today has had tendencies to point their finger at people and say, you're not worthy of Jesus. Unless you're like me, unless you deal with this stuff, you can't see Jesus. So let me ask you, are you blocking people from seeing Jesus? Have you added layers to Christianity that were never meant to be there? See, here's the thing. When you block others from seeing Jesus, you actually block yourself from seeing Jesus. You block yourself from seeing Jesus. This is what happened with the Pharisees. They were looking at their layers, their definitions of how Jesus should look. And they were saying to Jesus, you know what? You don't fit our definition. Because if you did, you wouldn't look the way you do. That's why verse 21 says this. The Pharisees and teachers of the law began thinking to themselves, who is this fella who speaks blasphemy? Who can forgive sins but God alone? In other words, Jesus, for for you to do what you're saying you're going to do would mean that you're the son of God. But the son of God has to fit our categories here. And since you don't fit our categories, you can't possibly be God. And I think that's why Jesus, maybe with a bit of a sigh, just says, why are you thinking these things in your heart? I'm here. I'm right in front of you. You just can't see me because of your stuff. But I've been here all along. See, when we block people from Jesus, the person we block the most from seeing Jesus is ourselves. And Jesus said, would you just just take these barriers and put them down? Would you just destroy them? Because this isn't me. This isn't who I am. Let people see me fully for who I am. And you need to see me fully for who I am. Thankfully, we don't have to block people from Jesus. There's another option. We can bring people to Jesus. We can bring people to Jesus. One of the things I love about my parents is that they are incredibly, incredibly generous people. And when I was in college, they 
paid for my entire uh, college education. And that meant that they would send very large checks in the mail to me. And my mom uh, one day called me up and she said, Jason, now I love you and you're an amazing son. In fact, I'm so grateful to have you as a son. You're, you're smart, you're handsome, all that. Uh, I'm not sure if she said all that, but, but she said, now I know one thing about you, Jason, is that you're also the most absent-minded person to ever walk the face of the earth. And so I'm about to send a check for $12,500. When you get it, call me and tell me that you're going to deposit it. And so I said, Mom, don't worry. I've got this. And so sure enough, in the next couple of days, the check arrives. I go to the phone. It was on the wall. It's back in the 1800s. The phone was on the wall. I grabbed it and I called my mom. I said, Mom, I got the check. Don't worry. I'll deposit it. Hung up the phone, put the check down, and then I went into Jason World. Jason World is a wonderful place filled with lollipops and unicorns and cotton candy and all sorts of fascinating places where my mind wanders, and I just went about my day, and finally around 4 o'clock or so, I remembered, oh, I didn't deposit that check, and so I went to get the check from where I last put it on the coffee table, but there was nothing on the coffee table. Now, I don't know if you have that moment in life where it would be better if Jesus came back and took you right there, but that was that moment for me, I just panicked. I, I, I looked under the coffee table. I, I teared open the, the couch and the chair and I went into the bedroom, looked under the, under the bed and looked through all the dresser drawers. I went into the, into the, into the bathroom. There was nothing in the bathroom. I went into the kitchen where the garbage can was. And I opened the garbage can and there was no garbage in there. And I forgot I had taken out the garbage. And so I thought, oh no. So I went, ran downstairs to the uh, back of our apartment building, and there was a huge dumpster. And I looked at that dumpster, and I did what I only could do at that moment. I dove into the dumpster. And there was about 20 garbage bags, and I started ripping open each garbage bag. And I started digging deep into the garbage bags. You know how gross it is to dig into people's garbage? And it was like all this gunk and, and yogurt was like pouring down my arm and I kept opening uh, bag after bag. There was nasty food and people have strange things in their life. And then I, I saw a half empty bottle of beer. I finished that. And so then I kept going. And then finally, until I was about the last bag, I opened it up and I thought to myself, that looks like my trash. And sure enough, it was. And I dug deep down inside of it and I felt this rectangular piece of paper. And I picked it up and marked with all sorts of slime and stuff was the check for $12,500. And I kissed that thing in that dumpster that morning, that afternoon, because in the middle of the trash was a great treasure. And this is what's happening in this story. The man that everybody else thought was trash, Jesus saw as a treasure. I mean, people thought he was trash. I mean, think about it. Day after day, he lived on a mat, maybe three feet by six feet. He couldn't move himself, bathe himself, feed himself. He was a beggar, no doubt. He lived off of a few people dropping a coin here or dropping a coin there. For the most part, people avoided him. Parents would say, son, daughter, just don't worry about him. God's cursing him. Don't talk to him. Don't, don't make eye contact. People thought he was trash. Except for four people, four of his friends, who thought he was a treasure worth rescuing. They had heard that Jesus was healing people like their friend, and they 
heard that he was at a nearby house. And so they, like I did, jumped into that trash can and grabbed him and tried to save him. They ran carrying him through the streets to the house and the Pharisees were blocking the way. And so they had to come up with a different plan. And so they went up to the roof. Now roofs in that day and age were different than our roofs. There was actually a staircase that went up to them and they were flat. And they went above right where Jesus was speaking. And then one of them, obviously a Wisconsinite said, let's destroy this and make a hole. And drop them down. So they start tearing apart the roof. And I just imagine what it's like down below as Jesus is speaking. And all of a sudden, things start to fall for some mud and some sticks and some other things. And all of a sudden, you see a hand sticking through the, the roof. And people have their iPhones out. And they're, 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 they're recording this. They're putting it on YouTube. They're putting it on TikTok. It's a little nuts. And all of a sudden, that little hole becomes a big hole. And they drop this guy, Mission Impossible style, right in front of Jesus. Now, if that were me, when I'm speaking, I would signal security to come and take these people out and get this distraction out of the way. But you see, people were never a distraction for Jesus because everybody was a treasure to him. So instead of continuing his sermon, Jesus puts all of his focus on this one person. And he decides to help him. But look at why he decides to help him. Verse 30 says this, when Jesus saw their faith. When Jesus saw their faith. I mean, that's a mind-blowing statement if we really think about it, that my faith can give somebody else faith. My faith can give faith. What a mind-blowing statement. If it weren't for these four friends' faith, this man would have never had faith And then Jesus says something so profound, but it's easy to miss. He looks at the man and he says, friend, not reject, not loser, not disappointment, not cursed one, not trash. He calls him friend. Then he says something even more shocking. Verse 20, when Jesus saw their faith, he said, friend, your sins are forgiven. Now, if I were that man, I I probably would have thought to myself, Jesus, I'm glad I'm your friend and I'm glad I'm here. But if we could keep the discussion about my sins down a little bit right now, that'd be nice. I came here for you to heal my body. But Jesus does something that he always does with us. He was showing that our perceived need was not our real need. That there's something much bigger, something much deeper that needed to be met. That the thing he needed to free this man from was not the paralysis of his body, but the paralysis of his soul. And that's why he gets into a dialogue about it in verse 23. He says, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven or get up and walk. And most people would have said, get up and walk is harder. But Jesus knew that forgiving somebody's sins was the harder thing to do. And so he says to this man, your sins are forgiven. In other words, I want your heart. More than anything, I want your heart. That the deepest need you'll ever need to meet is the the need to get right with God, to, to see your need for me. Jesus wanted his heart. And this man gave him his heart. And Jesus heals him anyway. He wants to show outwardly what happened inwardly. So he says, pick up your mat and walk. And the man does. He walks away free physically and spiritually. You know, I wonder as these four dudes were watching this from the roof as their friend has his sins forgiven, but also gets up and walk. I wonder what they did. I I like to think that 
they had a party on the roof. I like to think that they'd already blown one hole in the roof. They probably danced and put another few holes in the roof. Because had they not brought him there? Had they not had the guts to jump out of the stands and pick the man up and bring him to Jesus? Had they not perceived him not as trash, but as a treasure, none of this would have happened. And we wouldn't be talking about this guy today. So let me ask you, who in your life is on the mat, on the ground, waiting for you to pick them up and bring them to Jesus? Maybe it's a coworker who's just had a tough time. Maybe it's a friend or a sibling or a kid who's depressed and can't figure out right from left. Maybe it's a friend that other Christians have told you to avoid. He's no good. He's too messed up. Maybe it's a group of people that the church has historically said is off limit. We need to bring people to Jesus. We need to see them hurting and we need to jump out of our seats. We need to run down to the track. We need to jump into trash cans. We need to crash through roofs and bring them to Jesus. May we be a people that never, ever blocks people from Jesus. God have mercy on our souls if we do that. May we be a people who does whatever we can to bring them to Jesus.